Whether it's Kroger Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Kroger has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome to Geek Scholars Movie News, your source for film headlines, previews, and reviews, all in glorious podcast form, and brought to you by LRM Online. I'm Fox, and with me virtually, we have Chris. It's good to be back. And Jill. Hello, everyone. In this week's episode, number 381, we have... An intriguing title for the Captain Marvel sequel. And a pair of comic book trailers to review... But we begin with Knives Out 2 and its incredible cast as we play a long overdue game of Script Doctor. In this game, you two take just a jump to the left because my words are right. All right, <laughs> writer-director Ryan Johnson's Knives Out was a return to the murder mystery genre that nearly everyone enjoyed. It's no surprise that sequels are in the works, which will continue the adventures of Detective Benoit Blanc, played by Daniel Craig. For the next installment, we now know some of the cast joining Craig, and these thespians include Edward Norton, Dave Bautista, Janelle Monet, and Catherine Hahn. Chris, the announcement of this cast makes you think the film will be what? Stacked. There is no denying this film is stacked. Stacked with phenomenal scene-chewing character actors and a few leading actors who are moonlighting as oddball characters, I'm sure, in this uh, Ryan Johnson piece, as, as so many are. I gotta say, I think I'm particularly excited here to see Dave Bautista on the list. Ah. Um, I've gotten the chance to to interview him, and, and sitting down with that large man in a very small room <laughs> makes it very hard to concentrate on anything except uh, not visibly cowering. <laughs> but he's a guy when you when you talk to him a little bit, he he clearly uh, contains multitudes. You know, he's not just a total beefcake. He thinks really hard about the characters that he's portraying and he brings a lot to them and I think he has an enormous amount of skill as an actor and I think particularly about relatively small roles in the James Bond movie Spectre mm-hmm. uh, as well as in Blade Runner 2049 when he had you know relatively bit parts but brought a lot of depth to the fore he did. Uh, and made those characters feel really unique and memorable uh, and in fact a lot more so than a lot of the other characters <laughs> the, the larger name characters in some of those movies so I, I think this is a guy with an eno- not just enormous, but an enormous amount of talent. Uh, and I think watching him be somebody who is just uh, a, a little bit odd, a little <laughs> bit different in the way that so many of these Knives Out characters are is going to be an absolute delight, even among other extremely talented people. I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, I said that it makes me think the film is going to be super sus um, in that you know, I'm willing to bet most, if not all these fantastic actors, are going to be murder suspects and damn good ones at that. What I love about these people, if I think about what they can do and what they have done, is they're good at both the dramatic side and the comedic side. Like They understand how to walk that line 
really, really carefully. And that's what I think is going to make this film so much fun. I hope they make a million of these and it becomes that kind of thing as it's happened in the MCU. Like, well, you got to be in one of Ryan Johnson's Knives Out. You know, like mm-hmm. it, over time, I think more and more people yeah. are going to want to join up. And I love the assembly that they're putting together here. The other thing I'll say is that I remember when the first Knives Out cast came out and I thought, okay, unfortunately, I'm always trying to solve things ahead of time. Which of these people is unlike the others? And I kind of guessed Chris Evans might be the murderer, um, only because I thought he was unlike all the other people in the cast. Yeah. And now I don't think that's true. I don't know who among these four I think is like the standout name. And I know that Ryan Johnson will think, okay, I fooled you before. I have to go on to the next thing. <laughs> so I'm already loving the idea that all four of these people could be the murderer and I have no idea who it's going to be. And I can't wait to see them interact. I mean, can you imagine Catherine Hahn and Dave Batista bouncing off each other? We should feel <laughs> so blessed to be in this era. I love, I love that you're using the, the law and order principle of the biggest name. It is. Probably the bad and guy. I think that's what they did for the first film, but they won't do that again. I don't even know who the biggest name yeah. is going to be in this film yet. It'll be interesting to see how that all pans out, because I actually don't think that this list of names is as big as the last list of names yet. Um, And what really struck me is that this list is much more modern than the last list. I mean, if you remember from the first movie, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Don Johnson, Tony Collette, Christopher Plummer. These are all really established people <laughs> who've been in yes. Hollywood forever. And I feel like they really went a little more modern here and picked people who are a little bit uh like you said, sort of more in the Chris Evans part of their career, like a little bit more in mm. that hot spot. Um, not so much to do with their ages, just as where they where they are in their career at this point. It, it's a very different group of people, which I found fascinating. And I, I think that's one of the things that's so interesting about this franchise. I think the next movie is going to be is going to take place in Greece. Did it? Did anyone else hear that? Um, I hadn't heard that. No, that that would be really fun though. The only real thing that needs to be the same between one movie to the next is Daniel Craig's character. Everything else can be different. The t- like the tone could be a little bit different. The I mean the mystery is certainly going to be really different. And so that's going to be one of the most interesting things. And I also think the most risky in that, you know, if they made 10 of these, you know, there's probably maybe 7 of them would be amazing and 3 of them would flop. Like they're <laughs> it, it'll be interesting to see how well they can make that magic work one I'll after another. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, we think this comes out next year um, on Netflix. We don't have a release date yet, but yeah, Netflix is the place to find it. So it'll be interesting to see. All right. Next up, Jill, we are getting another Captain Marvel film. Thank goodness. And while we don't know too much about the sequel, we do have a title, which is simply The Marvels. To you, this title implies what? Well, at a minimum, it implies a team up. You know, we know we're going to have Captain Marvel. We know we're going to have her joined by Ms. Marvel and Monica Rambeau, who we saw, um, I'm sure lots of our listeners saw in WandaVision. It's hard not to imagine that there's not some further meaning to it, though. And I mean, I think the second most obvious thing is that it sounds like a family name. It's like the Smiths mm. or, uh-huh. you know, yeah, that's a good point. or 
what you know insert whatever your last name is and so i don't know if that's going to just be part of the theme is just the bringing this family together um because i think that that's really a part of the captain marvel comics is you know sort of leaning on the people you love and captain marvel is such a role model for ms marvel that just feels like a really natural fit for this movie I, I like all that. You know, I will say something that only occurred to me while you were speaking. Do they ever refer to Carol Danvers as Captain Marvel? Like, has that name been established in the MCU yet? Just something to think about. I don't think it has been. I don't think they've ever called her Captain Marvel in her three, well, three-ish appearances. So it'd be fascinating to see if part of this whole thing is how that get how that moniker gets established. Because I think you're onto something with the family name there. But just to throw that out there. I'm going to steal a little bit of your your words and, and incorporate into mine because I said ultra team up combo super moves um, because really <laughs> what I want to see is these two characters at the minimum or three characters combine their powers. We know Ms. Marvel is stretchy and can embiggen. We know Captain Marvel is Superwoman with photon blast. We understand that uh, Monica Rambo can basically see energy and manipulate it somehow. What I really want is the combination of those powers and abilities. We haven't seen that a whole lot in the MCU yet. You know, I think about the Incredibles, aka animated Fantastic Four. They did that so well. Um, I hope the writers here come together and come up with some wild and creative ways to integrate those abilities that they each have because they're kind of all a little bit unique to see how they attack, defend, and solve problems. So super combos. That's what I'm looking for. Chris, what about you? (laughs) Uh, I'm going with a shared spotlight here. Mm. You know, this is not called Captain Marvel Two. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's and it's it's not really Captain Marvel isn't even really entitled. The implication is there, but clearly we're seeing a bunch of people sharing the main spotlight here, given the given the title. Now, for people who are comic book fans, you'll probably remember that that Captain Marvel, uh, Carol Danvers, plays heavily in the origin story of of Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan. Kamala is just a normal girl who loves the Avengers, has posters on her wall, and her favorite Avenger uh, is Captain Marvel, uh, Carol Danvers. Now. Kamala Khan's origin story as Miss Marvel is is getting the Disney Plus treatment. So we will see that, and we'll see that soon, but we're going to see it on the small screen. But I think that probably my best guess is that series will leave her in a position to be noticed by the Avengers and probably brought into the fold by, you know, a mentor character being Carol Danvers here who could really show her how to be... Uh, you know, a bigger level hero in a very similar vein to what we saw, I think, quite successfully in the Spider-Man movies where mm-hmm, we saw, mm-hmm. you know, Peter Parker working with Tony Stark, uh, Tony sort of giving Peter a little bit of technology and, and a lot of advice and helping him become the 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 sort of global level Avenger instead of just this uh, friendly <laughs> neighborhood, neighborhood uh, crime yeah. fighter. And so I could see a similar I could see a similar story playing out out here. I think it will be quite interesting, though, because. Carol Danvers is like a, a cosmic level <laughs> superhero. I right. mean, she is she is not small potatoes in in, in power level here. Uh, and Miss Marvel, bless her heart, is fantastic. But her, her power is basically <laughs> bless her heart. Uh, I love it. You know, manipulating herself, becoming bigger or smaller, or changing shape, and sort of disguising herself in various ways. That is not quite as as heavy hitting as Carol Danvers herself. So I think it could actually be really interesting. What you're talking about, Fox, the the team up aspect. What's that gonna look like when they're a little bit of a mismatch pair here. <laughs> I think 
the answer could be really fun if you have really creative, really clever writers working working on the case. And I hope that's gonna be I hope that's gonna be how it works out. I love it. I'm very excited. I think I might disagree with you here because I'm one point in that Sure. I think it's gonna feel less like Captain Marvel brings Ms. Marvel into the Avengers and more like um Ms. Marvel brings Captain Marvel to New Jersey. Okay. All right. I suspect given given their team ups in the comics that it's going to be it's going to feel more local that it's going to yeah. be more like you said to start local crime fighting like spy I think of Spider-Man and Ms Marvel as having very very similar uh like Certainly. They they do things in their own neighborhood and she's just like he's sort of the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. She serves that role in New Jersey and Yes. I would bet that Captain Marvel is trying to have trying to settle in some way or have some feeling of family and home life in the New Jersey area versus her taking Captain Marvel out. That would be funny. I mean, you know, Captain Marvel has done all these grand things in terms of, you know, the galaxy and the universe. And now she's like, you know, stopping yes. <laughs> robberies in, in, in New Jersey it would be a really funny. It's totally part of the shtick in the comics. And I think yeah, it would I be, like I think it's, I think it's fun. And you, you get to sort of explore a different aspect of her character, which is really interesting. She doesn't have to just be yeah. the person who's running around the universe, saving everybody. She can be like, also like trying to have an apartment and take care of her cat. <laughs> and, you know, all of those things it's that are flirking. also Let's be clear, important it's a to her. <laughs> All right. I love it. Everybody well, needs a break, right? Everybody needs to, to come back to Earth and settle down and, you know, have some friendly relationships yeah. and remind themselves of who they are. And that could be a great way to I do mean, it in, in Jersey City of all places. I agree. Places. I mean, Captain Marvel just wants to go down the shore and have her water ice, you know? <laughs> that's how it goes. All right. Let's move on to some trailers. Chris, the first show we want to discuss is for a Marvel movie coming out later this year called Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Based on the trailer, you would call the tone of the film what? I would call it Jackie Chan-esque. <laughs> this reminds me of the, the great, lighthearted martial arts action comedies, mostly of the 90s, uh, but with the budget and the, the special effects of a modern blockbuster, which is a really fun combo and something we really haven't seen a lot of uh, before. I'm a huge fan of the TV of the Canadian TV series Kim's Convenience, and so it's a it's a total blast for me to see Simu Leo become an action hero in this in this vein, this sort of martial martial arts legendary character. And I think Aquafina as his uh, as his comic relief is like a scoop of ice cream it's, it's on top inspired. of an already yeah. delicious yeah. pie. It's it's so so much fun, and she seems to be doing a, a really great job of keeping that tone. Light while allowing him to be not overly serious, but you know, in, involved in these sort of you know life or death sorts of sorts of challenges and trying to find creative ways to to overcome them. I, I think it's delightful in what we've seen in the trailer so far, and I think that obvious fun and the good chemistry between them makes this a surprisingly easy sell for people who might not be that inherently curious about. And just being honest here, this being an extremely, extraordinarily <laughs> deep cut character. <laughs> All right. I like it. I said the tone would be reminiscent. And Chris, I'm going to go one further back than you because there is a cycle yeah. here. And I'm going to invoke the, the best of all names, Bruce Lee. 
I mean, Bruce, Bruce Lee, Lee basically invented the martial arts genre, or rather, he popularized it in the West. That, in turn, led to the creation of many of these characters. I mean, honestly, they were drawn upon his inspiration. And now I feel like this movie is a bit of an homage to that pioneering actor. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to that sort of um, genre brought back to life in the MCU. There is another angle here, though, that I want to mention. I say reminiscent because comic book fans and MCU aficionados will likely recall that this is not the first mention of the Ten Rings or the first mention of the Mandalorian. These all came... Not the, not the Mandalorian. I'm oh, sorry, Mandalorian the Mandarin. <laughs> <laughs> it's all Disney. Mandarin, it's all yeah. Disney. Get off my back. The Mandalorian could appear. We can't rule it out. Best crossover ever. I'm glad you uh, caught that because I didn't even hear Mandarin it. Mandarin is what I meant to say. <laughs> the oh, Mandarin. Geez. One is an orange, one is not. Um, but my point is that these uh, characters in this organization first showed up in the Iron Man films. I mean, we saw the Ten Rings yep. was alluded to in Iron Man 1. The Mandarin was not played by Ben Kingsley in Iron <laughs> Man 3. And then there was the little short, um, for those of you who are really uh, deep divers, called All Hail the King, where um, a journalist broke Ben Kingsley out of prison, or uh, Trevor Slattery, and said, you know, you've been trading on his name, he's angry. So they established the fact that there was an actual Mandarin out there. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's some connective tissue to the very beginnings of the MCU. So there's, again, why I'm using the word reminiscent. Joe, you think the tone will be what? Uh, it, definitely over the top is what I thought. And it's <laughs> funny. I, I don't disagree with any of your analogies, really. But when I saw the trailer, I thought this reminds me a lot of the Fast and Furious franchise. Um, really? Yeah, it's got that same. It's all about family. It's all about family. <laughs> it's got that same, like, kind of shiny, over the top, like, kind of ridiculous, like, you know, but it works because it's funny uh, tone to it yeah. that I think is going to make it really enjoyable. Um, and may maybe it just that's how the trailer played for me and the movie will be totally different. But that is, that is I finished the trailer and I thought that reminds me so much of a Fast and Furious trailer. <laughs> um, I, I think for me, understanding the roots of this movie make it more interesting. You know, I always like the backstory and um, I find that that makes the story more compelling. And so I like understanding how it fits into the other Marvel movies and the rest of the Marvel universe. I don't think that comes across at all in the trailer. They don't say they don't say anything about the Mandarin, I don't think. And they they say Ten Rings, but I think lots of people will have forgotten that that's the organization that kidnapped Tony Stark in the first movie. And so it's interesting to sort of see how they're both playing into it, maybe for some people, but also distancing themselves in other ways. You know, um, I I'll be real curious as the movie plays out to see how much they talk up through those ties. All right, I like it. Well, I'm sure this is our first taste. We'll we'll talk again when we get the full trailer, which hopefully gives us a little bit more narrative. Because I agree with you, Jill. We have no idea what this movie is about, except there's a rift between father yeah. and son. And I think it's implied that Shang-Chi is the son of the Mandalorian. No, I'm just kidding, the Mandarin. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, let's move on. We do have another comic Shang-Chi is Grogu. We do have another comic book sequel trailer to discuss. Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Jill, after seeing the footage, your interest in the film is what? 
it's really mixed for me. So I I like the Venom comics, but what I really like about them is the relationship between Eddie and the symbiote. Like the two of them just have a kind of a funny relationship and watching them sort of figure out how to live together, I think is one of the more interesting parts of this story. Carnage feels like such a one-dimensional villain. It's basically a a serial killer that's um that has a symbiote and that combination makes that character really really evil almost to the point where i don't know that it's the most interesting villain and it also kind of plays into that like the villain having exactly the same power as the hero which i always think makes it less interesting and so i'm honestly not all that excited to see the carnage half of this movie but i feel like the part of the movie that's eddie brock and his relationship sort of learning how to live with the symbiote is going to be is going to be fun to watch um so it depends a little bit on how that balance ends up coming out in the movie yeah, I think it's all fair. Um, my answer was intrigued. Um, that's that's where I am with this film. I will say that I've watched this trailer four times, and I don't even know why. But I find myself <laughs> oddly compelled to see Tom Hardy in this role, especially because we know that he had m- way more input into how this character should be portrayed and developed in this film than he did the last one. We're also with a new director, with Andy Serkis here, who is a master of... Um, using your body in unusual ways and trying to do motion capture and things like that and becoming something you are not. For all those reasons, I'm very inclined to agree with Jill that like when I watch Eddie Brock quote unquote talk to Venom, and we should note they're both voiced by Tom Hardy. It's just Tom Hardy throwing himself yeah. into this weird alien voice when he does Venom. I am way glued to the screen. In a way, I wasn't with the first film, where I thought the first one was chaotic and I thought they didn't quite know what they wanted to do. This just seems like it's a buddy cop comedy. It just happens to be that the two cops happen to be inside the same person. Um, and that's a funny <laughs> idea to me, right? But I, I agree with Jill. Like, I don't know about the Carnage stuff. Like, Carnage is fascinating because I know his marvel comics lore and there is the whole maximum carnage storyline which was very popular where spider-man and venom teamed up together for the first time to be on the same side against a common enemy it's amazing for me to say that woody harrelson is the least interesting thing of this film but i have to say tom hardy's vocal work has me coming there and i mean when he's singing in the first part of the trailer um it's really funny to me. So I am here for this in a way I didn't expect to be. Chris, what do you think? Uh, my word for this was commensalistic, which uh, <laughs> is a bit of a stretch. But its I would say my relationship sure. with the movie is not symbiotic exactly, and it's not parasitic. But <laughs> I'm just good. kind I'm of fine with it. We, we work around each other, and it's fine, I guess. <laughs> For, for whatever reason, it was a busy year, and I never got around to seeing the the first Venom movie, although it did look pretty fun, and it looked like it was doing some really interesting things. I mean, Tom Hardy was clearly working very hard for his money in that movie, which is something that I, I very much admire. This trailer had me asking some questions about exactly what the tone is going to be here, because it had a very sort of, like, Deadpool vibe, and yeah. that it, ha- it has this kind of darkly comedic, like, very self-aware sort of thing going on. But then when you hit the carnage bits, it seemed really over the top dark, or at least potentially to Mm -hmm. me. And so I'm worried this is going to go a step too far in that kind of dark, dour direction. You know, we're... 
we're still way short of like Zack Snyder versus Grimdark levels here. <laughs> I mean, it does still look kind of fun, but I, I am a little bit a little bit worried about that. So I'm curious, you know, Fox is somebody who's seen this seen the movie. First, yeah. do you feel like this is a tonal shift from the first movie? And and second, I am curious about what Jill asked about, which is, you know, we're gonna see Venom fight Carnage here, presumably, and that's sort of two characters with similar powers. I know that Venom fought Riot in the first movie, and that was also somebody with similar powers. So can you talk us through that a little bit? What, did, what do you expect to be, to yeah, be different here I, than the I first movie? I think it's, it's a great question, Chris. I think um, the first Venom movie tried a lot of different things, but what worked the most was the comedy. I mean, people really enjoyed yep. when it was like really silly and a little bit off-the-wall bonkers. I mean, there's scenes where I think Eddie Brock eats a raw lobster in the first film because he's just <laughs> so malnourished because he has this parasite that needs to feed all the time. So I expect they'll lean into that a little bit more. I am in full agreement with you and Jill in that Carnage, historically, is, you're totally right, like an evil, stronger Venom, or, you know, it's just number three. Mm-hmm. And they already did do that in the other film. In fact, we may even get two of these characters because Shriek is probably in the movie, which is another symbiote uh, infected woman who has similar power. So I think that's that was a mistake to do those um, villains in this film. I would have gone another way. In fact, I would have like put in Morbius in this film, and that would have been far more interesting. Yeah. We're getting a Morbius movie. You probably should have just combined them to see what that would have been like. You basically have Dracula versus <laughs> uh, a symbiote enhanced human. So I don't have a good answer for that, unfortunately, but I'm hoping that the comedy aspect of Venom v. Brock trying to live in society is enough to sustain the movie. Will it be? I'm not sure. It, it almost seems like it would have been better if they had just like leaned into Eddie Brock's investigative reporter background and mm-hmm. just said he was investigating X, Y, or Z and had the fact that he was Venom and had the symbiote be a part of that and sort of a complicating factor. But you don't have to <laughs> See, throw in like... your movie, Jill. You, you don't have to throw in like a huge <laughs> Spider-Man villain, especially when Spider-Man can't be in the movie. It feels like someone felt the need to go big in some way, but I'm not sure that that's really the best way to have gone yeah i want jill's movie i want i want eddie brock venom <laughs> investigative purporter and there's not like a superhero super villain of any course he's just trying to figure stuff out but venom keeps eating people along the way yeah that's the movie yeah. i want yeah that would be funny if he was investigating a crime where he thought maybe venom was the culprit oh, in the that would murder. Have been so fascinating yeah yeah that would that would maybe wait we can hold on hope for venom for venom 3 i want to be a little bit fair to this venom carnage thing because i mean I won't say there's a gigantically long history, but there's an expansive history of these symbiote characters in the kind of greater Spider-Man universe in the in the comic books, and they have they have been in enduring characters, lots of variations on these things. You know, Venom and Carnage, and Venom with different people symbioted mm-hmm. with, uh, <laughs> symbioted. And, and, and Riot and Streak, and <laughs> and literally dozens of others. Venom in outer I really space, can't bring to mind right now, <laughs> all over the place. Yeah, and Venom now, and Flash now, like, Thompson is fantastic. That is pretty fun. Yeah, but yeah, even crazier cosmic versions of of the same. So like, there are clearly a lot of stories to be told here, and there's stories that people enjoy because they keep buying comic books that are that are themed about around this. So I don't want to say necessarily that this is going to be bad or unfun or, or not enjoyable, or that Carnage is is inherently not a great character. I'm just not sold yet, and that's kind of what I'm winning to, to see. It feels like instead of going about making a Venom movie, they went about making a Spider-Man movie without Spider-Man. <laughs> I think it's pretty fair. <laughs> 
And again, like I actually think that if you ask me to pick, I'd prefer to see Spider-Man v. Venom than Carnage because that's at least yep. a little bit more interesting. I'd love to see like tiny Tom Holland against this like hulking Eddie Brock. I think that'd be way more interesting. It'll One day. Fun. One day we'll get it. It's probably going to be Venom 3. We'll see. All right. But our last trailer to discuss is also an adaptation of sorts. It's called The Green Knight. Chris, based on what you've seen, you think audiences sitting down to see this should expect what? And I do think you're probably going to have to give a little bit of background in your answer. Yeah, well, this is a, this is a story that I know awfully well. Oh, good. Um, the Green Knight is, is one of the better-known stories of uh, King Arthur's Round Table in, in Arthurian lore. I mean, most people know the the how King Arthur came to be the sword and the stone they know you know the stories of the of the Holy Grail and Guinevere and Lancelot and all, and all of that but there are a ton of stories of King Arthur and his and his Round Table and, and one of the the best is this story about Sir Gawain and the Green Knight and I'll just kind of give the setup of the story because I think it's not entirely clear from the trailer but I think no. it kind of helps establish what this is what this <laughs> is going to be about um, basically all the Knights of the Round Table were kicking around one. Day in in court and into court strides this uh, big scary knight, the Green Knight, and he kind of lays down this challenge in front of the knights of the Round Table, uh, and he has a big old scary axe, and he says, "Hey, I'll make I'll make a deal. If any one of you wants to give me a whack with this axe." I'll accept it, no questions asked. You just have to allow me to give you a whack with the same axe a year from today. Hmm. And everybody kind of snickers and thinks this is funny. And, and Sir Gawain stands up and says, I, you know, I'll accept the challenge. And he stands up and just, just cuts the Green Knight's head clean off. Because you would think if you behead the guy with his axe, that would kind of make the second part moot. Uh, but as it turns out, uh, the Green Knight just picks his head up off the floor and says, all right, that was fun. I'll see, see you in a year, year and I'm going to give you a whack <laughs> with this axe. Exactly. So so Sir Gawain, who was, you know, uh, uh, the one who was sort of like bold or audacious uh, enough to kind of accept this challenge, has to actually sort of stop and think, what does it mean to be an honorable knight? Can I call myself an honorable knight if I don't accept you know, my part in this challenge, if I don't show up a year from now and have this guy cut my head off. And so it kind of sends him spiraling out on an adventure to to understand what it is to be good and noble and to embody the ideals that an Arthurian knight should embody. And he finds himself sort of faced with lots of, of moral and ethical quandaries in the year leading up to when he may go get his head lopped off by the by the Green Knight. Uh, and so it's a really lovely story. It's a really fun one. And it's being brought to us here by David Lowry, who is a super, super interesting director. Um, he did uh, Pete's Dragon and mm-hmm. The Old Man and the Gun. Which I loved. And Ghost Story. And I think all three of those w- were, you know, certainly not box office hits, but they were underrated and did some really interesting storytelling. Interesting character work. Critically claimed, absolutely, and just sort of gorgeous pieces of art in their in their own way, while still telling interesting stories. So uh, I am way on board for this. I think it looks awesome. We have not seen nearly enough sort of ancillary, non King Arthur related Knights of the Round Table stories, 
outside of uh, Monty Python versions <laughs> uh, recently, and I, I, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm curious what you guys think. Chris, I am so happy you're on this show because I <laughs> I could not wrap my head around this. Like people were getting so excited about it, and what I said that audience should get ready for is so much symbolism because all I could tell <laughs> yeah. from seeing the seeing the trailer and not having the literary background that you do is like, well, I appreciate this looks gorgeous, and I bet that every decision that has been made here is purposeful. Like. Every detail is somehow related to the original text and the original fable in terms of the coloring, in terms of the, you know, the, the setting and things like that, the costumes. And so I was reminded of things like Pan's Labyrinth and Beasts of the Southern Wild, just in terms of tone and style. But I have to say the thing that I was struggling with is I could not understand narratively what this story was about. The marketing team should hire you because now <laughs> I am excited about this film. I am like, okay, now that I understand the stakes and exactly what the general premise is, this makes a whole lot more sense. So I hope people listen to this podcast because I think that it could seem weird to those individuals who don't have the knowledge that you do and don't understand the context because that's what's going to determine universal accessibility. But I will say... I am now excited. I cannot wait to watch it. <laughs> Jill, what was your take on all this? Yeah, I, I think I had a very similar reaction to you, Fox, with the trailer, which I didn't feel like communicated the story very well. I fin- I watched the trailer twice and thought that Dev Patel's character was the Green Knight. I'm not sure where you're supposed to figure out that I did it's too. the other character. And I was like, yeah. I thought he was green, like he was new, like he I was have no idea. Yeah. Like not very experienced. No, I didn't I, know that at all. Even actually having, like I watched it once and then I read a little bit about the backstory and then I watched it again and I thought, it's really unclear about the challenge too. Like he comes in and yeah. he challenges them, but it, then it's not clear... Th- about the second part of the challenge where he's supposed to go confront him a year later. They don't make that clear yeah. at all in the in the trailer. And so I think both of those things are really confusing. So it's <laughs> possible it's possible that that's not confusing in the movie and that the movie is much a much smoother take on that, but I think a lot of people are going to be put off by that part of the trailer. Um the other thing that I think is a little bit problematic, I really want to see like the PG or the PG, maybe even the PG-13 version of this movie. I don't want to see the rated R version of this movie. I really feel like that's <laughs> unnecessary, you know, hmm. and yeah. and that's maybe my not caring for that style of movies. It, it, it has like a little bit of that 300 vibe where there's just going to be blood, 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 every, you know, <laughs> and and I, like, I kind of want to hear, like, the adventure tale and not the horror. And so I don't yeah. know if that's going to be a little bit tough, too. Like, who who are they trying to get to go see this movie? It, they're sort of pitching this King Arthur adventure, which I feel like has a little bit of a younger adult appeal. But then it's going to be rated R. I don't know. It, it feels like it, someone hasn't quite thought this through all the way. Interesting. I forgot it was rated R. I can't imagine why, but I guess it's violence. Right. From what Chris has said. Beheadings doesn't that are seem, not I mean, but doesn't that seem unnecessary? Do you really need like do you really need to see Probably. all the blood? 
I don't you know. forget how many curse words there were in the original English. Like you don't, <laughs> don't remember all the... Like r- all Arthurian tales, <laughs> they're largely morality plays, right? And there's not typically a lot of uh, a lot of gore and sex and and uh, cursing and, and morality plays for children. But I think, so I think Jill's I'm sure point, there will be some adaptation here yeah. involved. Jill's point is is relevant there. Like I I didn't I yeah. didn't remember this radar, and I, I agree with Jill. Like. I actually wonder if it wouldn't play better if it was a little bit more accessible to people who've not read this, who are younger, you know, to yep. get them interested in Arthurian legend. Yeah, right. I don't I don't know who the audience is. I don't, I don't know it's who Chris. the audience um, is going it's for. Me. It's Chris. Just it's me. just Chris. He's going to be by himself <laughs> yeah. in the theater munching that popcorn. It'll be fantastic. All right, but that is it for movie news and now it is time for trivia brought to both of us by Sir Chris Alot. <laughs> uh, well, you've given me a great lead in, Jill, here, because I thought that we would talk about, you know, after this after this long, difficult year, when we're coming out the other side, God willing, of the pandemic, there's been a lot of cursing going on. <laughs> you know, I, under my breath over the, over the last year, uh, enough cursing to make any uh, children's morality play into a rated R version <laughs> of the movie. Uh, and so I just thought it would be fun to, to ask you guys... Uh, according to an analysis of over 3,500 movies, what actor has cursed the most times on film? Samuel L. Jackson. That is a great guess. He is number three on the wow. list with Fox. 301 swears. <laughs> the bronze medal of Samuel L. Jackson. Okay. Um, yep. Can I ask him yes or no questions? Can Can sure. I guess? Is the yeah? God. Um, I w- I'm going to say Nicolas Cage. Nicholas Cage. No, that's a great answer, but he did not make the list make, okay, of right. uh, top ten Ask swearers. Your questions, no, Fox. Yeah. Are number one and number two both men? Yes. Uh, are they still alive? Yes. Okay. Um, has either of them appeared in a Marvel movie? Uh, no. Okay. All right. So that that that's a good that's a good like slicing of the of the people. Yeah, and I think I think it it is reasonable to think that in general. Swears have increased over time, right? So um, I think there's going to be a mm, bias toward relatively mm-hmm. more recent. Would movies. you say my next one? Would you say they're part of the Judd Apatow movement? Hmm. One for sure, yes. Seth Rogen. Mm-hmm. Seth Rogen is number eight on the ah. list. Okay. Danny McBride is number ten on the list. Who is also mm-hmm. an ancillary mm-hmm. member of that uh, cohort? Oh, um, Have they appeared in a Quentin Tarantino film? Uh, yes. Uh, but not Samuel Jackson. How about, it's not, I wouldn't say DiCaprio. Uh, you might want to. I say, Di- I say DiCaprio. DiCaprio, number two on wow. Wall Street. Over right. Wall Street. How about Matthew McConaughey? Uh, also a good huh. guess, but no. Who's number one? Um, Wolf of Wall Street, uh, fun fact, is the film with the most swears, swears in, in it. it. Is it really? Huh. Is the... Is the other person yeah. in Wolf of Wall Street? Yes. Uh, it's not Pacino. Oh, uh, oh, Jonah Hill? Jonah Hill is correct. Mm. Wow. 376 swears recorded on film. All right, the so that's right. The Apatow movement. And yeah, all right. Jonah yep. Hill. Wow. Good for him. Congratulations, <laughs> I think. That's great. And Ad- Adam Sandler is up there fourth on the list, oh, basically sh- just because of Uncut uh, Gems. Yeah, uncut, uncut Gems, gems. he gems. says the F okay. word like <laughs> yeah. 150 times. Yeah. That's, That's a good funny. one. I like that. That was a good one. There Thank was, you. I don't know if either of you all caught this this week, but a couple of days ago, there was this really great interview on NPR 
um, with a with a man who had written a book about curse words recently. I think it's called like Nine Nasty Words. Oh, yeah. um, and they were interviewing him about what makes a good curse word okay. and why it feels so good to curse. Yeah. It, it was really fascinating interview. And if anyone has any interest, you should Google it. Um, because there's a lot of uh, science behind it, which I found very fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. You actually yeah. use a different part of your brain for cursing than you do for the rest of your language, is what he was talking about, which was very interesting. Well, that's yeah. delightful. That is awesome. That's uh, that's cool as hell. That is cool as hell. <laughs> it's cool as heck, Chris. Cool as heck. All right. That is it for this week's show. Listeners, we're sorry we've been off for a while. We're coming back with a vengeance in 2021. Now there is actual news, and you know we love hearing from you. If you have a question or comment, um, I could give my email address, but you're not going to write us. It's mail at But what you can do and what you have done, which we love, find us on social media. We'll be sure to get back to you. Special thanks to LRM Online, The Front Porch, Anna Vogelzang, and the 440 Alliance. As always, we encourage you to subscribe to the Geek Scholars Movie News Podcast through the LRM Online Podcast channel or elsewhere. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and all over the place, pretty much. While you're there, wherever you are, don't forget to give us a review, because those are an absolute delight in these dark and troubling times. <laughs> Until next time, this is Chris. And Jill. And Fox saying, outstanding. Now, let's bite all their heads off and pile them up in the corner. <laughs> a little Venom for you. I Have a good whenever, everybody. Uh, Take care. Lucky Land Slots, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.